Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Alicia Cavalars, uh, the founder and the CTO, Chief Tech Officer at Offworld.ai. So how are you doing, Alicia? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me about Offworld AI. Sounds uh, interesting. What do you guys do? Oh, uh, we're developing a robotic workforce for extreme environments uh, based primarily along with the latest technologies on stroke machine learning and AI. So we are developing this swarm robotic system to help humans to be off-world. That is our ultimate destination. But we realize that in order to be in space, we need to break through the capital-intensive barrier of launching systems to space. So other companies are achieving this through reducing launch costs and generating enough wealth uh, through other means to be able to sustain expensive missions to space. Um, but in our case, we realize that in order to build this robotic workforce that can help humans be permanently off-world, um, we can actually generate a lot of value by deploying these systems in extreme environments on Earth. Uh, for example, in deep underground mines, on the seabed, in large construction projects, uh, disaster relief, and um, this is our ultimate goal, to take humans out of harm's way on Earth and then ultimately help them settle off-world. Yeah, I figured you'd, you know, it would be much easier to start on Earth. So what, um, what, what stage are you at? Do you actually have robots that are performing tasks in these environments, or is it more uh, you're still making them? Uh, well, we have uh, actually... Uh, we started by... Uh, building technologies for the systems, the payloads in these robots. And uh, we engaged with um, ten, like a dozen or, or more institutions around the world to develop these technologies. And based on that, we down-selected certain payload technologies that we have now integrated in a robotic system, so end-to-end -end robotic uh, prototypes, what we call our bots. <laughs> And um, we have we are in the process of deploying them in the field, so they're going to go deep underground by the end of the year. Oh, so so the first will be an uh, underground mines. Is that where they're going to go first? Yes, that's where they're going to go first. So, I mean, if you think about what you need to settle in space, so from the creation of an outpost to a settlement to ultimately a colony, you need several kinds of industries to be able to do so. And we realized that the first industries that we need are for surveying construction and mining, especially if you're thinking about uh, space resources. So um, amongst many um, industrial verticals that we evaluated, as I mentioned before, um, we decided that mining would be the, the perfect starting point to deploy our robots on Earth. So at the moment, uh, these prototypes that we have built are for mining in extreme environments in deep underground mines. So what kind of tasks can these robots do that people could never do? You know, they're able to do things. I guess they're able to work in mining situations where there's no oxygen or they were able exactly. to work in tight, tighter spaces or uh, I mean, yeah, you know, they exactly. don't need any food. You know, what What kinds of benefits do you get? Do you just keep them down there for months at a time and they're fine? Well, and, you know. 
the, the things that the robots can do is definitely go deeper underground where humans cannot make it because of ventilation and other equipment that is required for human uh, survivability. So we can go deeper underground. We can operate in uh, more extreme temperature ranges and we can operate 24-7, meaning that there is no shift, there is no stoppage due to blasting where you have to evacuate the mine. It is a 24-7 operation. And it's also fully autonomous. So essentially we are taking the humans out of the rock phase where they are in harm's way and we're putting them in a supervision role that is a, you know, a teleoperator oversight role uh, where they can effectively monitor the operation. But our uh, our colonies uh, consist of hundreds, if not thousands, of robots. So we are paying a lot of attention in how we can enhance automation through machine learning. So machine learning is definitely a huge component of what we're doing. And we are infusing it in the way we excavate, the way we move around the mine, and the way we uh, share the data with our uh, human supervisors. Hmm. Are people still controlling the robots with joysticks, or are the robots literally moving around on their own and you know blowing stuff no, up they, and gathering rocks? Yeah, no, they move around. They move around on their own. So we're implementing SLAM auto, uh, autonomy on the robots based on sensor technologies. And uh, basically, we do path planning and collision avoidance. And the robot has a task. Uh, it has a sequence of events, meaning um, a roadbook of tasks that it needs to execute. And it executes the roadbook fully autonomously from the first step to the last step. If uh, for some reason the robot enters a um, contingency condition or an exception that it cannot manage on its own, then uh, an exception is raised and the teleoperator can intervene on that specific robot. But otherwise, the entire operation is fully autonomous. And as you can imagine, the level of autonomy will increase as our level of sophistication on our algorithms and machine learning increases. Well, I don't, how do they function down there? I mean, it's like pitch black unless you have illumination and then there's dust and all kinds of particulates and stuff on the ground and you know how do they it must be a pretty sophisticated system to get around all that stuff without falling over or getting stuck or being blinded Absolutely. their sensors getting caked full of dust yeah no i think the goal is to minimize the dust so when you're excavating uh, or you're preconditioning, um, there is definitely going to be dust generated, but you can control the dust by different mechanisms that essentially can bring the dust to the ground or can uh, extract the dust away. But in order to operate, I mean, we, are, we want our colonies to consist of this swarm of robots in the hundreds of thousands of units, as I said before. So we are looking into low-cost solutions for sensing, primarily RGBD cameras and uh, uh, sensors, ultrasound sensors, and other kind of technologies that can help us map the mine. So uh, there will be a survey about that does a ground truthing of uh, the area of the mine where you're at. And then the robots will use its, their own sensors to uh, use the ground truthing to refine uh, their localization where they are and also uh, to perform collision avoidance maneuvers, and, you know, making sure that they don't fall into a cliff <laughs> as necessary. Right. And of course, there will be some kind of interpositioning system that can help with this ground truthing. Why so many robots? I mean, it, it seems like they would make it to be a trade off, you know, the more robots you have running around. Unless they're like a swarm or like a hive mind, 
it seems like they would run into each other more, or, you know, like fall to pieces or like get in each other's way. Well, I think uh, if you think about it, the mining industry has been trying to solve the problem of increasing productivity by building larger and larger machines. So you have now a 100-ton track or these incredibly large excavator units and road headers. Uh, the problem is that when you're trying to open a new mine, the capex is so large that sometimes it's too costly for the mine to get started. And as a result, you have tier two and tier three mines that are never opened because it doesn't justify the, the size of the deposit, doesn't justify the capital investments to open the mine. Um, the way we're approaching this is uh, through a fully scalable system. So instead of having to uh, spend uh, $500 million to open a mine, you can uh, open a mine with uh, $10 million or $20 million. And uh, we organize our robots in uh, squads that are performing the end-on function in a specific area of the mine, uh, a panel. And they are excavating away, and then you can uh, size the size of your squad based on your productivity targets. And uh, basically, the size of uh, the robot is scaled based on the performance that can be achieved by the robot unit. And then you keep scaling up uh, to achieve the production rate that you need for the mine. And um, the entire architecture relies on the division of, of tasks between the different robot species uh, based on these uh, units of operation, for example, excavation or rock collation and crushing. And then everything is scaled based on this production rate. Um, and so maybe our robots cannot uh, break rock or collect 10 tons of rock in one setting, but they can be effectively deployed in very narrow areas of the mine where it is really hard to reach. And uh, there are so many units that they can uh, perform and uh, produce as much uh, of a good outcome as a very large machine would, but with yeah. no environmental impact. Are they going to be operating again as like a hive mind, like a swarm where they're all being controlled by a central brain or are they going to operate independently? I, I think um, we're still looking into this, but ultimately um, we're looking at it more in a collaboration point of view. So, I mean, if you have a hive setting where you have a brain that could be a single point failure, but if you have uh, the ability to have situational awareness on all of the robots that are around you, but each robot can be aware of all of the different robots in their squad with which it is operating collaboratively, but it can still perform the function independently. That, that is our ultimate goal. Well, you know, I said that because like, if you have a hundred different robots, you know, drilling and one of them gets crushed by a rock, you know, you'd want the, the, the hive mind to say, okay, well, that one's dead. We'll just have the other ones take up the task, you know, and exactly. send out a robot to retrieve this, this hunk of junk and take it back and fix it, you know? Exactly. That's, exa that's exactly right. So not a, a single point failure decision power, but Hive is a very good way to describe it in the sense that uh, there will be situational awareness. And as you said, uh, there will be, it will be known when a robot stops performing as it should and some measures will be taken by the colony. Well, have you evaluated whether it's better to have people along with the robots and have the robots do certain tasks 
and people do others, or does it work well enough where you could just have the robots only, they do everything down in the line, and you just have people upstairs, you know, controlling them or looking at them? Well, I think we, we did look into this, and I think for our first deployments, there will be definitely more human intervention and participation as in our ultimate deployment. But as I mentioned before, these are extreme environments, and we ultimately want to go to space. So we want to be able to deploy fully autonomously where the human teleoperator is uh, sitting and grabbing a coffee, looking at uh, the snapshot of the what we call the virtual mind, which is the snapshot of the operations, and then only be bothered by monitoring, health, uh, housekeeping, and then exception management, as I mentioned before. Yeah, it just seems like a really tough task because you need you need robots that are again they can climb over or move over debris and uneven surfaces, and then you need ones that have really good vision so they can see you know small details in the rock face or in the ground. There's probably not you know, there's no signage down there. There's just like <laughs> rock. Um, I mean, you would probably need medic type robots that are always fixing the ones that get broken or covered in dust or you know, crushed, very, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it just seems really, really complicated. Very, very perceptive. Yes, we would need service bots. That's how we call them. And this is where machine learning uh, comes in, and it's a critical part of our architecture. So we want our robots to be able to learn how to do tasks as a human would, or hopefully better. So, for example, the way we excavate the rock is not by a hard-coded algorithm that is performing many repetitions of the same pattern in a geometrical pattern on the rock face. We actually are exploiting the irregularities in the rock to determine the best target of opportunities for the robotic uh, chisel to excavate. And uh, same with um, the fact that you're going to have exceptions. Um, if you can manage exceptions, uh, you know, improvising, uh, then that's that's the way to go, and uh, that's 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 what we're definitely going to try to do. And as I said, there will be, you know, there will be certain phases in the deployment of this capability uh, until uh, we ultimately achieve the goal of full autonomy. You have like a you know a cave-in is coming. Let's get the hell out of here mode, where the robots will like sense that and run back to an earlier point in the mine so they don't get buried. Well, I think um, that's how uh, that's how human miners do it nowadays. Um, in our sense, uh, yes, we our survey bots will be alerting of any stress conditions in the rock that can predict uh, the possibility of uh, rock caving, so the bots can evacuate and go out of harm's way. And you can actually detect that through different sensor technologies. Uh, you can, the rock actually gets hotter when it's about to fall <laughs> and there are oh. other techniques that you can look into, uh, you know, ground penetration radar and uh, other technologies that you can fuse um, to, to try to predict when there is a situation where there could be a, the possibility of getting the rocks in harm's way. But ultimately, the fact that we're a swarm system also means that if we lose one robot unit, it's not the end of the world. We can ultimately right. replace it immediately with another robot unit that performs the same task. So that's the beauty of having a swarm instead of a very large machine that when it breaks, then, you know, you have a problem. I see what you mean. Yeah, if you have, that's why you wouldn't want just a few 
really expensive machines because if one gets crushed or buried, then you're in trouble. But if you just have like ants and each one's cheap and, you know, it does a small part of the task, it gets crushed. I mean, who cares? You know? Exactly. And there are multiple examples of this happening or have happened in the industry where there was a very big investment on very large machinery and then something happens and unfortunately then you have a you're in a pickle because you cannot operate for an extended period of time so having a swarm absolutely overcomes this problem it's much more nimble it's much more scalable and it's much easier to use honestly okay well, in addition to mining, what other arenas, what's what's next after mining or what's like the top one that you want to work in, in addition to mining? Well, we're, we're definitely looking into other verticals. And I think the next one that we're, that we're very excited about is construction. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of functions in construction that uh, require a lot of repetition or require, um, to a certain extent, putting humans on harm's way. And uh, having a solution like ours, where we have a payload that can exert that function in a very efficient and uh, a competent way, but also 24/7. For example, when you have a large construction project, um, you want to you want to be able to to build the project fast because there are delays that is that has a very big cost associated with it, obviously. Um, so you have our swarm robots in selective tasks where you can work 24-7 and you can accelerate the layout of a certain uh, uh, function, then uh, they can work with uh, the humans to accelerate the project and add a lot of value for um, a significant cost reduction. And, you know, I've, I've worked in factories like at Intel and stuff like that, and I've seen the robots there, and I know it's years ago. I mean, how much better have robots gotten? How much more autonomous? How much more functional have they gotten in the past, you know, five or ten years? You'd say. Um, I think very much so. Um, uh, the cobalt industry um, is uh, thriving at the moment. There are very strong competitors in the cobalt industry, and uh, there are many ways that uh, researchers and engineers are. Uh, improving the way the cobots work um, with humans around as well as on their own. So uh, there has been a massive improvement. And also in terms of indoor autonomous mobility, um, when you have uh, these uh, uh, big warehouses, uh, customer fulfillment centers, uh, where you can have robots that can bring you the items and uh, uh, help you assemble them for delivery. I mean, there is uh, there, there is a lot of improvements in our area. Um, it's a little bit more nascent because we're working in segregated heter- heterogeneous environments. So in terms of machine learning, we're a little bit on the tip of the iceberg because it, you know it's it's hard to train a neural net on a system that is not predictable. So um, I think there is a huge upside potential in what we're doing. And um, I think we haven't seen anything yet. I think the next five to 10 years are going to be extremely revolutionizing. And we're very excited to be working on it at the moment. Interesting. So what are some of the, um, the most difficult challenges you run into that you're working to overcome? 
Well, I mean, when it comes to space, uh, which is ultimate destination, one of the biggest challenges is obviously the, the red tape to go to space. And uh, it is very exciting to see uh, companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and other what we call the new space technology companies that are changing the way we think about going to space and the cost and the complexity of going to space. So we're very, very excited to see that. Uh, when it comes to what we're doing for terrestrial mining and terrestrial applications, I think it is uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges is developing the technology <laughs> itself because robotics, um, as I said, for the longest time, robotics has been a domain for you know indoor cobalt factories or research. Uh, but there is not a lot of ruggedized robotic systems out there that are not a machine that has been made to perform automation, uh, but a, a real robot that is doing tasks. Um, I mean, there are humani humanoids out there and there are other applications and it is, um, I mean, it's a very exciting field to be in. But in our case, uh, we find ourselves uh, making the decision to uh, design and build something from scratch because there is ultimately no solution out there uh, for what we're doing. And, you know, it's a challenge, but it's also an extremely nice opportunity to uh, flex our muscles in uh, in what we're ultimately trying to do. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you'd start in mining, for instance, because uh, any work in outer space is going to be probably similar to working in a mine, you know, just rock, and you're trying to you know, harvest things from rock. I mean, what, what, what tasks, you know, when you get into space, what kind of tasks do you think the robots will be doing? Same stuff like they do on Earth or... Or different stuff? Are you going to go after asteroid mining or other planets? Or how do you think they're going to be used? Well, our next destination is the moon. So we want to go to the moon and mining is, is not mining, but it's construction and excavation is quite important because if you want to develop underground habitats for humans and also robots and machinery to, to remain there for a long time, excavation is key. So we find that excavation or mining is definitely an important lineage industrial sector that we need to excel in. Construction following thereafter because you want to build habitats, you want to be able to lay out infrastructure. So having the ability to understand what it means to uh, create a structurally sound uh, underground uh, panel is very important. Uh, having the ability to put together a complex system uh, that uh, it could be for construction and repair here on Earth, but ultimately it could be for building habitats and infrastructure for astronauts is also quite important. So we are, in, I mean, space resources is definitely something that we're looking at. Uh, from the moon point of view, that would be um, uh, ice harvesting that can be converted into bipropellant uh, that can then be used for uh, um, launch vehicles and uh, just, just as, as fuel for spaceships. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, uh, ultimately, when we get to do asteroid mining, the ability and the knowledge of mining itself is going to be key because as we're learning, um, Mining is not only just hitting a rock and uh, chipping it away. It has a lot of complexity. 
and uh, there are a lot of technologies that need to be thought about and, and implemented, not only for the act of excavating the rock, but actually what you do with it afterwards. So we will be very well prepared to, to tackle that after all of the exposure that, and all of the development that we're doing for terrestrial mining now. Well, very good. Well, you got a lot of work ahead of you. You probably got <laughs> a good 50 years of, of work and need, so that's great. Absolutely. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Well, what, what's the best way for interested people to get in contact with you and to find out more about your equipment and what you're working on? Well, you can always reach us at our uh, website, offworld.ai, and we are in all of the social media platforms. And we are looking uh, always uh, for uh, talented, passionate people that uh, have the same vision that we have of helping humans lead of world and also helping humans uh, stay on Earth in, a, in, a, in, as, uh, in as better conditions that we can uh, provide for them. Okay, very good. Well, Lisa, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Richard. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.